Yeah. It can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace at least in a better spot to settle. My brother said the American Hey everybody, welcome to the show Community Spread. I'm your host Kevin Lundell. On the pod today, we have Chloe Johnson. Chloe is just an incredible person and it was my privilege to get to talk to her and to get to know her through this conversation. I knew that we needed to have Chloe on the podcast because I had been seeing so much on social media around the culture war that is starting to brew even more and more about trans women in sports. Do you ever wonder why these issues tend to show up in your social media feed when they show up in your social media feed? I mean, look what's going on around us right now. There's a raging pandemic. There's an economic recession. There are immigration issues that 80% of America wants to be fixed. But guess what? America wants solutions to all of those problems. The majority of Americans know that we're in the middle of a raging pandemic. They want to get their life back. They want a government that is going to work to distribute vaccines and solve those problems. The majority of Americans want our government to act in the middle of an economic recession, to get money to those who are in need, to help those who don't have jobs. The majority of Americans want our immigration policies reformed. They want a pathway to citizenship for dreamers. So what's left for the GOP to try to divide middle America? Suddenly, something ends up in your feed. And it happens to be an issue that has nothing to do with the bulk of our problems that are existing right this minute. And it happens to be trans women in sports. And guess what? This is a potent, potent weapon. So right now, we have two House bills on the floor of the Utah House. We have one that tries to ban trans women from competing in sport. We have another that tries to make it so doctors and their parents cannot make decisions for their children around what could be life-saving medications. So why did those land in your feed just recently? It's because they're trying to divide middle America. They're trying to make you pick a side, and I will be here today to tell you not to let them do that. So when Rand Paul is on the Senate floor asking the incoming Secretary of Education what planet she's from that she thinks it's okay for a trans woman to compete in sport. And when Mitt Romney agrees with him and uses his grandchildren as a weapon in this war, that are behind him on, the, on his wall, the pictures of his grandchildren, know that it's not because they care about fairness in sport. Know that it is because they are trying to divide middle America. Don't let them do it. This is an issue that is a non-existent issue. Trans women have been competing in sport for a very long time. Some of them, you may not even know that they are trans women. They've been competing in the Olympics for 16 years. Not a single trans woman has won a medal. There will come a time that someone will, and that's okay. We're talking about inclusivity in a way that will make a huge difference for a lot of kids. What is sport about anyway? Sport always has been about personal development. And so if we are going to exclude a whole group of people 
from the benefit of sport and the benefits of which it gives them in their personal development, then shame on us. I hope if these bills pass the Utah House floor, I hope we lose the opportunity to host the Olympics in Salt Lake City in 2030. I hope the NBA pulls the NBA All-Star Game from us in 2023. Those should be absolutely real consequences that should come to our state as a result of our ignorance. I want you to take a minute to listen to Chloe's story. Listen to the pain she had to endure as a child, the bullying she had to endure, the dissonance she had to endure as she was wrestling with what to do with the fact that she was born in a body that didn't match who she was inside. Realize that every time you see one of these posts from a keyboard warrior, anytime you see an argument being made from a senator or a house speaker, know that there's a human being on the other side of that, a human being that matters, that has feelings, and that, you, that those arguments are hurting. We can and should do better. I learned so much from this conversation with Chloe, and I hope you do too. So with that, our conversation with Chloe Johnson. Look how far we don't came, we made it to this land of surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a bride. Spread the word, let it be known the heavens set us arrive. Right here, live in the flesh. All right. Hey, everybody. I have Chloe on the podcast today. Super important guest. Chloe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? It's been a good morning. I got got to swim in. So uh, I got connected to Chloe through the Out Foundation, which uh, we have some experience with at our gym. Chloe, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with the Out Foundation and a little bit about that. I am actually the board president of the Out Foundation, which I never thought I would be. Uh, we had uh, nominations and a little vote, and they just told me I was the president. I was like, oh, okay, well, let's do this. I've been with the organization for quite a few years. Will Lanier, who you know, is one of my dearest, dearest friends. And uh, we can probably get more into this later, the connection through it all. But I feel Tell like- Tell us just what the Out Foundation does. What, is, what, are, what are they about? We have our hands in so many different baskets. We are called the Out Foundation because we're so encompassing. We, we primarily focus on raising money and educating the LGBT community, not educating the LGBTQ community, but supporting the community through fitness. So we'll hold different workouts and fundraisers at cycling gyms, CrossFit gyms, all of the modalities we try to include. And we have um, sponsorships for gym memberships. We help people facilitate getting gender reassignment surgeries or gender confirmation surgeries. See, there's one, correct verbiage. We have the out health program. We have the out athletics program. We have so many programs that I basically try to oversee all of the programs and kind of know what's going on, but I don't actually fully participate in every program because I haven't figured out how to officially clone myself yet. Yeah, it sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot is going on. We had just an incredible experience doing an outwad at our gym. You know, it was one of those events that uh, when I saw it, I was like, I want to do that at our event or at our gym. 
And, you know, in a living in a kind of a conservative religious town, it was something that was a little intimidating, but, you know, we did it. Our community showed up so big. Uh, we raised, I think, like close to $3,000. And it was just, it was seriously one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. So thank you for your work on the back end and like having a avenue out there that I was able to see and didn't have to, and just able to plug and play. And we had a great time. Yeah, you're you're in Utah. We are, yeah. Yeah, okay. Because we did a uh, tour there because we had the "Don't Be an Asshole" tour. Can I say that? Yes, absolutely. That's, um, that sounds amazing. <laughs> had this little tour. It wasn't little. We hit as many states as we could the year before COVID hit, where we went to gyms and talked about inclusivity and how gyms be could be more inclusive to the queer community, specifically the trans community. So we were in, in Utah. And we had a great turnout in Utah. Incredible, incredible. I'm super sad that uh, somehow you guys missed our gym on that, but um, next so time. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we had, we, we really did have a, have a great event and, and doing so uh, many important things uh, you guys are with that foundation. So listeners, go check out uh, the Out Foundation for sure. Chloe, tell, tell our listeners where they can find you on, on social so they can, uh, they can get to know you a little bit. I am primarily on Instagram, Chloe Johnson. I'm sure you'll have that spelled somewhere because it's all very interesting. We'll put, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. We'll link you, your profile in the show notes. I have a Twitter, but I barely use that. So I would just say the Instagram for sure. Go check out Chloe on the Instagram. She's got a rad dog that she's uh, training right now. It's super cool. So something interesting about Chloe is that she was, her assigned gender at birth was male. And now she's this super awesome, incredible woman. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to have her on the pod to tell us about her life experience and share with us so we can get an opportunity to step outside of our own lived experience and into hers a little bit by sharing her story. So we're super grateful for her for having us out. So Chloe, tell us a little bit about young Chloe. Where did you grow up and a little bit about you and your life? I grew up in this sleepy little town called Los Gatos, uh, nestled in Silicon Valley in the Santa Cruz mountain foothills. I mean, it's not that sleepy. It's just a lot of rich people. We weren't rich, so we were like looked down upon, but a lot of like white rich people. So there wasn't much diversity when I was growing up. Yeah, uh, let me just cut right to it. So I basically always felt a little bit off. I have two like very older brothers that were super into sports and super masculine and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, that's cool, but I'll be over here like doing cheerleading and uh, theater and all that fun stuff. But I still felt like a little, like I didn't quite fit in with everybody that was around me. And... I think I knew by the time I was like seven that I was female. My dad said he knew when I was five. So I lived in this wonderful atmosphere. My parents never stopped me from playing with anything that I wanted to play with. If I wanted to play with Barbies, I got Barbies. If I wanted GI Joes, I got GI Joes. So like I, I had it all. So my parents were way ahead of the curve. They were gender neutral before gender neutral was like cool, I guess you could say. Awesome. But, you know, on the other other side of that, 
since they were so open and loving and accepting, I kind of lived in this bubble because I didn't really understand that the rest of the world was not that loving and accepting of people that were like, quote unquote, different from the norm. Uh, so they never stopped me from being how I wanted, dressing how I wanted, talking how I wanted. But when I went into school, right into kindergarten and I would bring my Barbies to school and whatever, um, the bullying started. And having two older brothers, I just never spoke of it. So from the ages of what is kindergarten, fifth grade, until my last day of high school was my second month of my sophomore year, I never told my parents that I was bullied. So really, yeah. And it was like, you know, not even I, your brothers, like you weren't like, Hey brothers stick up for me a little bit no, here or no, because they're 10 and 15 years older than me. So oh. we were never in the same place at the same time. Right. Um, and I just kind of tried to stuff it all down. I tried to just ignore it as much as a kid could ignore it. And as the years went on, the kids got progressively worse, but I had a great group of girlfriends that pretty much sheltered me from people being assholes. Kids and are assholes, I, aren't they? I could not imagine being a kid today. With yeah, right. I mean, and how everything is. Kids are cruel. This is reminding me a little bit of, um, we, we just sent our kids back to school to in-person school two weeks ago. And, and Mason had his, my son, Mason, he's six, he's in first grade. He had his fingernails painted that he and he and Amelia had painted their fingernails the day before. And, and Jesse said, you know, it, yeah, you are great. You have your fingernails painted, but just want you to know, and I think it's cool, but other kids might not think it's cool. And after his first day, he came back with his fingernails, like picked off. And he's like, yeah, the girls were super nice. But uh, the boys were not nice. And uh, so, yep, that uh, is uh, definitely it's, it's still happening for sure today. Yeah, it's so unfortunate that in 26 years that like not a lot has changed. And yeah. in that time, I say 26 years because that's how long ago it was since I transitioned. But I will just kind of fast forward. Got to sophomore year. Uh, I was a pretty smart kid because I didn't have a lot of friends like outside of the social construct of school. So I just did a lot of studying. And uh, I had an incident in school. I walked out of class. These kids were throwing rocks at me. And this jock, Mike Cherry was his name. I'll never forget him. He was like the only jock kid that was nice to me. And he stopped those kids from throwing rocks at me. And he walked me to one of my favorite teacher's classrooms. And I told her what was going on and I, she tried to comfort me and I just packed up my stuff and I left and I like never went back. And my parents let me chill at home for a week. And then they had one of those round table discussions. And they're like, you can stay home and we can change schools, but we have to know what's going on. So that was 15, I guess it was 15 it seemed like a stalemate, you know, like I'm staring at them, they're staring at me, it felt like hours. And I finally just said like, A, I feel like a girl, and B, I've been bullied forever. And- So 15 was the first time that you said it out loud, like to your, uh -huh. to your family, I feel like a girl. Yeah, yeah. And, so and 
how like the whole time you're getting bullied are you did you that whole time what was it like inside with you and what were you feeling were you having this dissonance this gender dissonance where you were like I feel like a girl but it doesn't match uh who I am right now were you having that internal dialogue with yourself were you able to at that point when were you when was that happening or was it it had been happening it had been happening for years and I had seen I want to say it was Geraldo maybe it was Sally Jesse Raphael like that long ago I had seen a trans woman they weren't called trans women back then they were calling them something else but I was like that's it that's that's how I feel like my insides wow. are different than my outside so that was the first time I could put like actuality to it and feel right. validated. I mean, what did that feel like when you like you were like, oh, there's other people like me? It was kind was of like the heavens open up and the angels sang upon me for a second. I'm not religious, but like that's kind of what it felt like. But then that was like, you know, it kind of just pittered away because I was so young. What was I gonna do about it? How am I gonna breach this conversation with my parents? It was just this huge mixed bag of feelings. And yeah, sure, there's other people like me, but I don't know any of them or yeah. they're not around here, you know. So no. how did the conversation go with your parents at that time? Oh, my parents are fucking amazing. My parents literally jumped into action, got me to like the leading therapist at the time, got me out of school, got me into another school like a more progressive theater art school where I would feel more comfortable there was a gap so there's a gap from when I refused to go to school and until they got me into the new school where I was homeschooled I ended up graduating at the end of sophomore year so I graduated two years early um so you're wicked smart too and I just took the placement exam so that I could get out and my parents had to emancipate me so that I could start hormone therapy because back then they couldn't consent for... Real, really? Yeah, they couldn't consent. So they had to emancipate you so that... And then once you were, uh, I guess at that point, considered your own guardian, you could then go get hormone therapy? Yep. What was that like to to go through that with your, with your family? And were they just like, yeah, this is what we got to do? I mean, can we talk about anything on here? Yeah, talk about it all. Go for it. I mean, obviously it was like I had felt like I won the freaking lottery because I was finally able to mentally and physically be who I felt I was and who I knew I was for all these years. You know, my mom got me a whole new wardrobe. Like my parents really stuck by me and helped me out. But because I had conditioned myself over all those years of not telling my parents that I was bullied, I still just continued to hold all of like my angst inside. And it was particularly weird because they wanted me to donate sperm in case I ever wanted to have children down the line. And also because I was young, they wanted me to do that all then before I couldn't, you know, before things were irreversible. So that was a trip being like 16 years old, walking into like a sperm bank as a female, like as a girl, and like going locked in that little room and having to like do that business, that was a trip and a half. That was probably like the weirdest, the weirdest experience of like my new transness. Wow. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you think about that retrospectively? I mean, I think it's it's kind of a forward thinking of your parents, but like what, yeah, what 
Oh, the doctor made me do it. The doctor, my doctor at the time insisted that I do it before I started hormone therapy. Really? Interesting. Is that, uh, is that common now? Is that something that happens? I don't know. I don't hear people talk about it. So I'm assuming it's not so common practice now. Like I said, it could have been because of my age. They wanted just to have like all of those like checks and balances just in case down the line. That's a, that's a lot to put on a 16 year old, uh, you know, what, what, what are you, what are you going through at the time? Well, since I was such a goody goody before that point and I had become emancipated, I like transitioned. I was like living as my real self. I had moved out of the house and moved in with, um, a woman that was just a few years older than me. She was like in her early twenties, but she had transitioned a few years before that. So I was supposed to be in this loving environment, but because I was always such a goody goody, I kind of like unleashed the demons inside and I started um, partying. I like found drugs. I had never drank drugs before. I had never drank before. And it just um, unleashed this addiction inside of me that when I was using, it really allowed me to not freaking feel. I thought I wasn't feeling the things I was feeling. It helped me to like better push down all of those feelings of shame. And, um, I don't even know like the words for like just the amount of like built up angst over all the years, um, of not feeling like I was accepted because I allowed what those other kids were saying to affect me, right? I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the tools to be like, these kids are fucking idiots. I don't need to listen to what they're saying because I'm a freaking rad person. Like, you know, in junior high, you don't have those tools. So the drugs helped me to just quiet all of those feelings that were inside of me. Yeah, so you, at the same time, are having this experience where you feel like you've won the lottery. You get to be who you are and, and take this big step forward. And, but also in that same process, you are struggling still and, and, finding, and finding drugs and still having to suppress years and years of the bullying and, and everything else. Oh, I guess, yeah. Tell me, how, did you, how, did, how long did that period of time in your life last? What was it like? And then how did you find your way out of it? I wanted, it was on and off for about five or six years. I would go through periods of sobriety, very short, short periods of sobriety. I ended up in my first rehab at 17. And then I think I did three or four more from 16 to early 22. I straightened up my act with the drugs around 22. I did every single thing that I said I would never do. I did every single thing that I said I would never do. So I like, I stole shit from my family. I stole money from my father. Um, I began prostituting, not because I needed money, but it was just around me. And I was that fucked up that I was like, whatever other people are doing it. This is the, this is the place I'm at right now. I might as well just like succumb to it and do it. So it was just this five years of trying to be as numb as possible and doing like the most ridiculous dumb shit to like self-destruct. And I'm surprised that I made it out with my teeth and my, my, my looks and my, most of my brain and my life. 
I mean, sounds just kind of like a typical kind of addict lifestyle for, you know, a five year period in your life. How, how did you find your way out of it? And this it is the like, same time you're like, at the same time, you're, I guess you had gone through hormone therapy. Did that change how you felt? And did that kind of play any part of that? What was, what was, how was that playing into it? I mean, it changed how I felt, like I said earlier, simply because I was like taking the steps to be who I knew I was. But as far as like mental, just mental stability or like emotional health, who the heck knows because of all the drugs I was doing at the time. Sure. You know, sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. How did you find your way out? How did you find your way out of that? I had those experiences where I was in the bathroom trying to shoot up because I was shooting meth. It didn't take me long to start injecting. I think I maybe made it a year or 18 months before I started injecting. Um, and by the time I quit, it was just really hard for me to find a, find a vein to get, get well, you know, just to not feel dope sick. And I looked up at the ceiling in frustration and there was blood all over the ceiling from continually trying to hit a vein and trying to clear out the end of the needle. So like I was constantly like squeezing the blood out so it didn't coagulate so that I could get high. And I saw all this blood all over the ceiling and I was like, Jesus, fuck. Like, how long can this possibly go on? And I remember standing up off the bathroom floor and I looked in the mirror. I just saw it. I saw, I saw what I was doing. I saw that I was selling myself recreationally. Um, I saw that I was like selling drugs. I knew that my boyfriend would turn me in in a heartbeat if he got caught because he was running the drugs for me. Um, and I just knew that if I kept on, that there wasn't going to be much more, many more choices for me except jail or death. And I really didn't think I would fare well in jail at the time. So I had that brief moment of clarity. I told him, the ex, that I was going to quit doing drugs and I paid the rent for the next month. Two days later, I packed up my car with what I could fit in it and I went and stayed at a friend's house and I continued to work. I worked a professional job somehow. Um, I would take naps on my office floor and I worked through kicking meth for three weeks. This time, no rehab, just did it. Yeah, because I was fucking done. I was so over it. I just, there was no need to look back. And where were your parents and your family at this time? Were they just at that point where they were just like, we got to let Chloe be Chloe? Or how were they? I mean, I don't really want to dive into the family dynamics because we don't have a lot of time for that. But just like every family that's probably dysfunctional, my parents had split by this time. Uh, my mom had moved out of town. My dad, my dad was born partying. Like, I, I'm pretty sure my dad can like party till he dies. He's like 76 and I'm sure he still parties. Um but they knew enough to that nothing they were going to do was going to stop me from making the choices I was going to make. And I needed to fall on my face if I needed to fall on my face. Um, they gave me just enough help so that we maintained our 
relationships, um, but they love yeah. me to do my thing. And they were there yeah. for me and I needed them when I quit. We all know all about dysfunctional families. <laughs> Speaking of one, coming from one myself a little bit. So uh, um, tell me, uh, you, you, you have this, you hit rock bottom, you come out of it three weeks on your own, getting through, um, coming off meth. How, how did you press forward and, and become the person you are, in it, are today? I love that you said press forward because I've just been acknowledging to myself recently over like the last couple of years that I feel like I've never had a solid direction from the time I was like 15 to the time that I'm now 41. I feel like I've always kind of just moved through life and things will present themselves. And I feel it or I don't feel it. And if I'm feeling it, I just move in that direction. I've never gone to college. I've never been professionally trained in like any specific industry. Everything I've done and accomplished has been completely self-taught. I just constantly am moving on from one thing to the next. It makes me feel happy or satisfied or gratified at the time. So at the time I quit, I was working for um, an AIDS foundation. I was doing education and prevention for their needle exchange program, ironically enough. Um, so I would, I would work with addicts. I was working with using addicts while I quit. I would wow. do education in colleges about safe needle use. And, and I just kind of moved down that line. I've always kind of waxed and waned within nonprofits. I would think a lot of us that have had drug addictions, when we come out of it or the alcohol portion, we start getting clarity in our minds. And so then what's the next step to the clarity of the mind is the clarity of the body. And we, I moved into fitness. I mean, I've First was like runner. I was a runner. I hated it, but I didn't know what else to do. I was a little intimidated of the Globo gyms. But and so you found you found fitness. Um, at, at some point, I think you found a, a CrossFit gym and got into some fitness and and found a bit of a community there. Is that how it works? Joe, it usually works with CrossFit. You know, yeah, you, you find was. the gym and you you become part of the cult. Yeah, I don't know. I was somewhere between 28 and 30. I can't remember that far back right now. Um, and my friend was telling me all about CrossFit because you know how it is anytime someone yeah. starts CrossFit. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, this sounds stupid. Like, no, I don't. What? Like working against the clock? What are you talking about? Uh, and finally, Jason had convinced me to try his CrossFit gym. And typical story, I drank the Kool-Aid like within 30 minutes of being in that class. Uh, I fucking loved it. I like had never, ever, ever pushed myself as hard as I did in that class. And I wanted to feel that every day. I mean, maybe that ties in with the addiction, but you know, I know the, I know the feeling uh, you walking through that door and be like, wait a second, competitive exercise. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and and that feeling of pushing yourself and getting that high and and uh and working through that you definitely felt that huh yeah i loved it i mean i want to say that i am just naturally semi athletic uh, my brothers and i are all pretty athletic but it, like i said it was just a feeling i had never felt before and i kind of just hit the ground running the community was amazing uh, the friends I was making at the gym were amazing. We were all different ages, all different walks of life. 
This is before CrossFit was like $200 a month. So, you know, pretty much everyone could afford it. And we were just having a really good time. Everyone encouraged each other. The competition aspect then I think was is a lot different than it is now. I felt embraced. I felt loved. I embraced others. I loved others. There was no animosity if someone was stronger than you in the gym or no animosity if someone was like coming up on your numbers. It was like, cool, I'm going to push harder and I'm going to help you push harder. So let's work out together and get stronger together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so did you get, how far deep did you go? Did you start getting into competitions and things like that? Of course. Of course. All the things. I started competing. It was encouraged in my gym. It wasn't like you had to, but competing was encouraged. So we just, I just naturally went down that path and I didn't think anything of it. You know, I didn't think about all the stuff that was about to come down the line in the next year or two or three. So what was about to come, come down at you? You said there's something about to come down at you. What was that? Yeah. So I just, I didn't really think much of my trans status at the time um, with competitions that just doing like local competitions and stuff, mind you up until about this point ish, I had been pretty guarded with my transness. So I primarily lived a stealth life, which means I was not super open about being trans. I was very selective about the people that knew this was for my protection. I felt yeah, and physically. Um, I don't think we even need to get into the whys of that, but um, I felt like I was getting better. I was like working out with a team and we were trying to go for bigness and I'm just kind of be kind of vague. I mean, you guys can Google this stuff if you want, but I ended up having to go toe to toe with CrossFit because the entity of CrossFit did not want me to be allowed to legally compete in their competitions as a female. They said that I had to um, compete in the category. I had to compete as a man. I had to compete in the male category since I was born a male. And my fight with them started very quietly. It was just emailing back and forth and anonymously I was like obviously not going to out myself and then it became a non a non-anonymous fight and then I went toe-to-toe I wasn't really ready to go toe-to-toe with CrossFit but I did it because I knew that the way they were treating me was unfair and I could tell they had done this before I didn't know if it was the same situation but the way they spoke to me the way they they tricked me into outing myself to them. And the way it all went down, I could tell that it was very calculated and this had been done before. I don't know why it had been done before, but I could tell that this was like MO. And I made the decision to go ahead and fight for my right to party, man. I wanted to you, compete. So you, fi- you filed a lawsuit against CrossFit for not allowing you to compete yeah. uh, in, the, in the CrossFit Games Open, right? I sure did. Yep. Wow. Now, anybody who knows anything about CrossFit knows that they like have 
a billion attorneys and they will sue the shit out of anyone who yeah. like tries to uh, use their name or do anything. They are like, they will go after anybody at any time. And you were like, I'm going to take this on. Yeah. What let's, that be like? clear. let's be very clear. And if anyone doesn't know, CrossFit now is under new reign. There are new hands at the, what am I trying to say? There's a saying about student ship hands on the thing. Yeah, you got it. You got it. <laughs> there is a new founder or the, the founder is gone. New CEO, yeah. big changes, lots of, lots of good things happening. Yes. But back then it was not so great. So how did, you know, you, you probably knew these things about CrossFit that they were, they were, they had these big attorneys and, and, but yet you still decided that you were going to file suit and, and, and fight for your rights. Well, yes and no. Like I kind of knew. I obviously you don't know the freaking gist of it until you're in it. And the the story broke about me suing CrossFit, and I didn't know it was gonna break. Obviously, it was like hot potato news, and someone at the courthouse when it was filed like leaked it to TMZ or some shit. Are you so, serious? Yeah. So I was. Whoa. I was working out you know how we do we freaking record all of our lifts and all that fun stuff and I was like recording my lifts and I went back to my phone and I literally had hundreds of messages in like the three minutes that I was like snatching or doing whatever the heck I was doing my life was forever changed in that moment because though I knew I was gonna have to be out about my transness I had like just officially been outed to the interwebs you got outed to the whole world yeah. uh, in that one moment. Yeah. How did your immediate community around you respond to that? It was a mixed bag, man. The owners of the gym that I was coaching at, there was three owners. One was super conservative. One was super liberal. And one was like right in the middle. The one that was a lib was my, one of my best friends. It was crazy. It was just bananas. My friends my close friends all huddled around me. Anyone that was close to me knew about my trans status. Like that wasn't, that wasn't hidden. You know, my friends took over my social media. My friends took over my phone. They did a really good job at weeding out all of the bullshit for me because they knew and I knew it was coming in and I was, had it coming from all sides. I had, I also at the same time had to deal with family because my nieces and nephews None of them knew that I was trans, but all wow. of a sudden, this is all over the news. So now not only am I trying to put out fires in my workplace, in my personal life, it's like my family life, you know, and how to have these conversations with nine, seven, six, and four-year-olds, you know, and it was just the craziest, craziest time. And nothing could have ever, 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 ever prepared me for that. Sounds like you had some awesome friends that rallied around you and helped you at least shield yourself from, I, I'm sure, just the overloading amounts of transphobic comments and everything that was coming at you that time. I mean, this was, I mean, this was news that I heard about and was talked about in, in, in my gym. Uh, we weren't open at that time, not my gym in my, in, in that I owned at the time, but the gym I was attending at the time. Um, this was news. Uh, around the the crossword world and even greater than that at the time. So really uh, groundbreaking stuff for you to be be fighting for your rights at that time. How were you taking it 
as that as that happened to you how was how was you how were you taking it how was it what was happening in your life it was real hard I just immediately obviously I felt like all eyes were on me I felt as if I couldn't ever truly say anything I ever wanted to say um, for fear of reprisal for fear that anything I said would be used against me I'm not always the greatest with my words I've like I mumble, I fumble, you know, I put my foot in my mouth a lot of times and I was just terrified that I would say something that would just get misconstrued and I would be crucified again. And it was just, it was a very mixed bag because at the same time I'm being judged by so many people. I want to say there was more people that gave me positive reaction and that praised me and offered a hand to help than the negative people and it could have just been because I wasn't seeing it choosing not to see it my friends were like helping me not to see it but I don't want to downplay how much positivity was thrown at me during that time that's that's great that there were people that were jumping in and, and helping you through that time and you know 20 come around to 2019 and CrossFit changed their position and now allow trans women to compete uh, in the CrossFit Games. Yeah. Wonderful, right? Amazing. How do you feel like your lawsuit and everything played a factor in that process as in, in, in CrossFit changing its mind in that process? Yes. Unbeknownst to me. So I went as far as I could with it. It got to the point where I had to make a decision to throw in the towel. I didn't have any anything left emotionally to give to it. I, I felt like I did what I could. I had carried the torch that far and I was just hoping that someone else would pick up the torch and, and continue the fight. Um, I love myself and I just, I knew it was, I knew it was time. I knew it was time to move on because if I didn't, I was gonna be, stuck in that like very horrible spot of feeling judged by everyone and feeling judged by the world. And I tend to not give a fuck about what people think about me. So I needed to like release myself from that, that bondage. Right. And how many years were you in the, in the battle in the suit or what, how what many months or from the time it started, like from the time the email started to the time I like bowed out, it was two years. Um, That's a long time. It could long have been battle. months, but I'll just round up to two years. And I took a little sabbatical. I like moved to Florida for a few months. I didn't work. I just worked on myself. I worked out and I worked on myself, you know, and I, it was good for me. It was really, really good for me. And during this time, Will Lanier is doing his thing with, at that time, Outwad, which is now the Out Foundation and Out Athletics. Um, go back. I want to go back though, to that one thing, unbeknownst to you, your story is part of what helps CrossFit get to the point where they change their policy. Yeah. I was just getting there. I was just yeah. tying that in. I'm oh. tying that in right now. All right. I thought we were moving on. Yes, no, please no, tie no. it back in. <laughs> no, no. So I like stepped away from that and unbeknownst to me over, you know, the next few years, Will and my other friends and team at the Out Foundation had picked it up, but they were working with the CrossFit 
the heads of CrossFit at the time, but under behind closed doors. So they couldn't even tell me that they were working on that stuff. Wow. So yeah, and I just was going about my life, you know, and working again, working with the foundation, and they're doing all this. When I found out that CrossFit was allowing it. It was the most surreal experience in my life because I did not realize, though I felt like I had worked through a lot of it, the traumas from all of the lawsuit stuff, I felt it lift. You know, when I heard that my fellows could compete in CrossFit, if they fucking were strong enough and fast enough and they could do it, that they would be allowed to compete, compete. I felt like the world lift off of my fucking shoulders. And I realized that like, I just officially let go of all of that fucking trauma and crap that I had been holding on to for years. And then to hear Greg Glassman say my name on the fucking announcement was so surreal. I just was as happy as I think I could be at the moment. And I definitely, I'm not a crier, but I definitely cried some tears for sure. I am a crier. I'm going to tear up right now. Tell me what the context was um, with Greg Glassman's comment and you uh, at the time for the listeners. I don't, I can't even remember exactly. This is the problem with doing drugs at a young age. (laughs) But he like, I feel like he said something about me starting all of this and CrossFit doing me wrong. It was, you know, it was some sort of like, a, let's ver- like shake hands, you know? Um, right. It was great. It was quick. It was brief, but it's all I needed. It's all I needed to take that deep breath and just officially move on. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and that your your experience and your life has made a difference for so many going forward. We know trans women in sports right now is going to be the new culture war. Uh, you know, the GOP has squoze everything they can out of gay marriage, everything they can out of immigration, and they need something else to try to divide the middle of America. And we see this at the forefront. Right. right now. So Chloe, could you tell us, walk us through what, what are that, just, what does that argument kind of look like? Um, you know, we hear all the, all the garbage, um, on the other side, um, that, oh, this is not fair, blah, blah, blah. Tell us a little bit about your experience with, as a trans athlete and, um, and trans women in sports. Yeah, for sure. So obviously I'm not a doctor and though I transitioned 26 years ago and I should probably know more professional lingo than I do. Like I don't really know a lot of the, the, the little minute details of science around about and around being trans, but I can tell you from my experience and from like what I've seen, I don't understand this freaking argument at all. You can't just there is no black and white. There is no definitive line in sports as it is. You know, women can be 4'11 to 6'3. Men can be 4'11 to 6'3. They can compete in the same sport and they can compete against each other. When you try to say that a trans woman has a genetic advantage over cisgender women, I don't, I don't 
don't see it, right? Because I'm five foot four and 138 pounds. A cisgender woman that's, you know, five foot nine and 185 pounds is going to have a genetic advantage over me because she was genetically gifted to be taller than me, you know? Um, also, the theory that a man, that a man would transition just to win a, a, a woman's sport so that he could say that he took that title is just the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard in my life. What man in their right mind would go through that lengthy procedure just to win a title? Yeah, that's not a thing. It's bananas. <laughs> it's bananas. It's bananas. But yeah, it's like it's like everybody's fear. Oh, all these all these men are just going to say that they're women so that they can compete against other women. Right. And and if we flip it to trans men competing in sports, no one has a problem with that. Right. Like where uh, people do have a problem with it, but it's not as focused on as trans women in sports because you I feel it's men. Men have an issue with trans women, right? A cisgendered man has issue with a trans woman and they look at trans women to be threatening for whatever reason, but then they look at a trans man and they don't consider that trans man to be threatening. So it even is- be, Even this is beyond sport, you know, where, yeah, oh, uh, trans right. women certainly have- a, a much more difficult time, um, you know, generally because of misogyny in our culture and patriarchy in our culture. And you hit that spot on for sure. I mean, it goes deep. I mean, this isn't just political. This is, this is fears, right? They prey off the fears of our nation and the, and the powers that be love to paint this picture of a trans woman being a six foot five man in a wig. You know, they, they forget, they don't forget, but most people have probably interacted with a trans person in their life and they don't even know it because most trans people are just average folks. Just, sorry. Absolutely. Dan reaction. I just caught that. I was like, ah. <laughs> Dan's like, whoa, I have. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, 26 years ago when I transitioned, my elders taught me that you transition, you blend, and you live in society. Like, that's not necessarily the case today. Like, we can own our transness, like, any walk of life. Like, it doesn't really matter. Um, but, yeah, you've interacted with a trans person. You probably just don't know it because we are everybody. We are everywhere. We've been around forever. We're going to be around forever. We are probably the next evolutionary step, I'm just saying, but. I love it. And, you know, the Olympics have been allowing trans women to compete for 16 years, I believe. And they're actually, I don't believe at this point has actually been a trans woman that has won a medal yet. So where are all these trans, the, the, the end of women's sports, where are all these dominate, these trans women that are dominating sport? I have no idea. Unless there's some like secret society club that I don't know about that I haven't been invited to. I just don't think they Shame exist. On them. They just don't exist. But there will come a time, there will come a time um, when a trans woman will uh, 
be awesome enough to compete at that high of a level and win. And this will bring the debate all the way back up to the forefront. And a lot of ignorance will, will show its, show its face forward, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk just a little bit about, I mean, I'm not going into science science here, but think about it. Any trans woman that has had gender confirmation surgery, that is the surgery where you go from having a penis to a vagina, you don't have testosterone in your body anymore. The testicles are removed. There's no way for your body to convert uh, the extra, the extra estrogen in your body to testosterone unless you take enough estrogen to convert into testosterone, but there would be no point in taking that much estrogen. It'd be counterproductive. So trans women competing in sports aren't even naturally producing testosterone. So which is the reason why, you know, men typically are larger and, and have these advantages in sport is a lot to do with their home hormone profile. Um, what do you think about? So, you know, there are, you know, there are trans women who have lived as a man through puberty and much longer and have lived under those hormone profiles for a while. Um, and their bodies have been built a certain way. Their bodies change after they go through hormones. Um, do are there significant advantages in those circumstances? What do you think? No, I'm going to say, because we can all start freaking training from a young age to have our body conditioned for a certain sport. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. When I, when they did the chop chop and they inverted the penis into a vagina on me, let me tell you what happened. I went from being able to do like 15 strict pull-ups, no problem, to being able to do three. I had to learn to regain all of that strength. Um, Removing the testosterone from my system completely did a number on me. Right. And it's good. That's going to happen to anybody. And um, I haven't had to take blockers in a really long time since I transitioned when I was so young. But when you're on HRT, you're taking stuff to block the testosterone from doing what it's supposed to naturally be doing, as well as taking estrogen. So it would literally have to be a man in a dress and a wig for the testosterone argument to win. Which they don't allow in high-level sports. So, you know, there's testing and, and other things that they um, require in those sports. So, well, thank you so much for your insight into that. I think that's going to really clarify a lot of people's minds um, and, you know, really uh, press this conversation going forward. Because I know, without a doubt, this is just, I, it's heartbreaking. Right now, there are currently bills on the the in the house floor in Utah, um, one that bans trans women from sports, two that makes it so um, doctors can't prescribe hormone uh, replacement therapy to children. Tell me about how damaging those sort of policies are. They're completely dehumanizing and demoralizing. Um, You're telling somebody that their identity isn't worthy of acceptance, right? Like no one can tell another human being how, well, I mean, they do tell, but no one should be able to tell anybody how they are allowed to exist. And when you tell a young child that 
they are not allowed to have their outer shell meet their inner shell. That's crushing, right? This kid is going to grow up thinking that their entire existence is wrong. And then we're going to have kids, more kids committing suicide than we already have. We're going to have more kids getting addicted to drugs than we already have. We're going to have more kids going into the sex industry at a, before they are able to make that decision for themselves. This is a whole mess of problems. A whole, whole mess of problems. These hormones, this hormone therapy, replacement therapy can be literally life-saving drugs. Literally life-saving drugs that our lawmakers want to prohibit doctors and their parents from making the decision, their own decision for their own child. It's the same argument as why are men making regulations for women's bodies? Why are cisgendered people making regulations for transgender people's bodies? Yes. Say it again for the people in the back. Utah already, Utah, Utah already has one of the highest suicide rates in the country too, by the way. It's the same damn argument of men telling women what they're allowed to do with their bodies as cisgendered people telling transgender people what they are allowed to do with their bodies. It makes no sense. There's no common sense in that at all. Chloe, I think that is the perfect place to to leave it. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your experience. I learned a lot from you. You're an awesome person. Um, tell us really quickly. I know you're involved with a, another organization because you don't have too so much because you, you uh, don't have enough going on with the Out Foundation. You are involved in another foundation, correct? Yes, I am involved with the Reps for Recovery, which is a nonprofit we have here in Reno that we're looking to expand nationwide, where we provide um, free gym memberships and work uh, workouts for recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. Incredible. So you really do just find the passions in your life that and things that impacted your life and you just go out there and apply that apply yourself to helping others uh in those ways, don't you? I try. I really sure do. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you so much Chloe. It was great to hear your story. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> it can event. And that's it for the show. Thanks so much, Chloe Johnson, for coming on the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. We want to thank Decker Yazi for our artwork and August the Great for our theme music. And always Dan Martinez on the back end making this show happen with Deep State Media. Thanks, everybody. Community Spread is a Deep State Media production. It's produced by me, Kevin Lundell, and directed and edited by Dan Martinez.